America's Day at the Races returns this Saturday on Fox Sports to cover the Aqueduct Fall Meet. Tune in this Saturday to watch nine exhilarating races headlined by the Garland of Roses Stakes. Join Andy Serling, Maggie Wolfendale, and the Fox team for live racing, expert analysis, expert picks, and more. Bet on the races using Naira Bets. New members receive up to a $200 deposit match. It's nonstop fun at the Aqueduct Fall Meet. For showtimes and TV schedule, visit Naira.com. Remember to sign up for Naira Bets with a $200 deposit match new member bonus promo code MATCH200. Official, official merchandise is on sale at shop.naira.com. Welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Friday, November 8th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back from the Sonoran Desert and ensconced once again in the friendly confines of the Brooklyn Bunker. Looking forward to a quiet weekend after the madness, but it will be a weekend with a lot of wagering. We'll be talking about it on this show because I've been so behind the eight ball. We're going to, we're pulling in a ringer. We're going to have Nick Tamaro doing a couple of the segments. You'll hear that later in the show, but I wanted to bring things in and kick things off looking at racing north of the border. Had a great time out in Tucson speaking with uh, Klaus Ebner, who we'll hear from a little bit later on, Lindsey Bax and the Woodbine team, and our coverage of their racing continues throughout the end of their meet. Only a couple of weeks left when it comes to racing at Woodbine, and to speak about it with me, we bring in a man you hear all the time on these airwaves, talking Woodbine, talking betting strategy, talking Breeders' Cup betting challenge. He is Drew Coatney. Drew, what's going on, man? I'm doing good. It's a beautiful Friday morning here uh, in Columbus, Ohio. So, yeah, looking forward to having a great weekend and kind of the calm before the storm with all of the Christmas and holiday activities and travel plans. So yes. it's one of those to hunker in, enjoy some good uh, college, uh, excuse me, pro football as college takes a break. And then it's the chaos. Army Navy? Do we have Army Navy this weekend? We do. We do yeah, have that's always Army fun. Navy. Yeah. That's always fun. I've been a few times to that game. My father-in-law is uh, ex-Navy. He was actually, had kind of a, a, a very cool role. He was the captain of one of the first nuclear subs the shark and very much uh was he class of class of 58 anyway i probably have that wrong but they you know it was so fun back in the day he's they're still in annapolis but back in the day they would go and you know the different classes have their tailgates and going and hanging with him and his classmates oh man i had a lot of fun (laughs) games in annapolis and of course went down for a few uh went down for a few of the army navy games as well so yeah that'll be some good sport but of course racing is going to be dominating the scene as well and uh, we're going to we'll start off by looking at these woodbine races where we'll we'll head up for uh, the last four on the card, as we so often do, starting with race number six, where we have these two year old maiden fillies going an interesting distance, six and a half on the synthetic that might come into play here. Very curious who you liked in this spot. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting with the number 11 flash in the sky at five to two. And yep. I think has all the right to win the tactical speed, third star, top figures. The debut race, this one ran and had some good horses come out of it. And from there, I'm going for firsters uh, that have unexposed, completely unexposed form. And the number four, Placer de Oma, uh, Hernandez, not- Hernandez notably getting 
uh, on this more than ready filly for Josie Carroll instead of the Ellen J. Foxwoods runner that I'll mention uh, in a second for my third. Place. Oh, I didn't see that. I thought that was the other way around in the uh, in the fir- the early PPs I saw I had Hernandez sticking with Spellcheck, which is why I made that one my second pick. But really yeah. going to Plaisir de Moore, the the forerunner. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking right now at number four plus de Mall with Hernandez aboard. And, yeah, I'm uh, seeing it now on time form. I, I again, I was looking at the early PPs, so I'm sure you're right. That's interesting. So something's got to be up there, and then the number ten spell check for LJ Foxwoods was a heck of a Keeneland September sale at 130. Lasix on and ships up here. So uh, some stronger work tabs for the number ten spell check, but maybe they know something about the four. And I, I'm more than ecstatic to hear Robert Geller beautifully pronounce the number four's French name <laughs> than what. You didn't like my uh, plaisir d'amour. That wasn't, that, yeah, he'll, he'll do it better than I will for sure. Yeah. I mean, those, so basically I'm, I have it. I was thinking with Hernandez on the 11, I was thinking it might be a 10, excuse me, on the 10. I was thinking this was a 10, 11 lockup. So that information is is throwing me for for a little bit of a loop, and I think I'm going to need a bit more info to finalize. But looking at pedigrees of those two, um, I, I was thinking that the 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 outside runner was the one you wanted to be on, simply because while the dam of Plaisir d'Amour, who was a Grand Motion um, stakes place filly called Sense to Compete, she won first out impressively, but all four of the well the three other siblings all um, improved they didn't win first out and well obviously none of the four won first out and the other three uh, have really improved um as they've gone on and in fact uh looking at at spell check that was one who the, the dam um didn't win first out but also ran on dirt and then like ran her top in the second race and the first time on grass no siblings Anyway, just looked a little bit more precocious to me. But at this point, I think i got to throw in all three. Um, I'm going to call that one 11-10-4, and I've got you 11-4. That sound about right? It is. And, and by the way, the, what we're saying of Plaisir d'Amour is a classical French love song originally written in 1784. Really? Oh, the pleasure of love, I guess, is what it is. That, that would be my that would be my thing. I don't know. I don't know much about 18th century uh, French songs, but uh, well, perhaps we can find it later on Spotify. There you go. <laughs> That's the more you know. To race number seven, where we've got uh, a five and a half furlong synthetic race, optional claimers this time around. I really liked uh, Boda Swing, the number one runner in here, Drew. Mm-hmm. Adding Lasix I thought was interesting. Stringing race, races together for the first time. This was one, uh, speaking of Hernandez angles, this was one with uh, with Hernandez sticking around. And just speed, uh, speed going five and a half. I thought all these things would be valuable. This horse has run right around what I would consider the par level for this race twice. And while there are some big numbers in throughout this field, in recent races, I have questions about all of those runners. So I was going to try to bet yeah. the one and see what I could get away with in here. What did you like? Yeah, we're, we're on the same uh, philosophy for this race. I'm going with the number four sacred dancer at 12 to one. And we have to squint a little bit to see it, but I have knocks on a lot of the other horses in here. But the last two clunkers that this horse ran were against a tougher field. Go yeah. back, a game, ran a high 70s buyer. There was another one that in there that ran in the eighties and three back a turf sprint closed into neutral fractions and one of the massive price. And I think with the chaos of these sprints, 
I think this horse could get forgotten both on the tote and the track, sneaking up the rail at the eighth pole and uh, putting putting his head down at the wire. So the number four Sacred Dancer, 12 to 1, looks looks like a fun price as well. The She's number three. Yeah, I looked long and hard at her. I guess my knock was that it looked like the turf race, the five furlong on the inner, no less, turf race, looked by far the best run. So I was wondering about her being able to recreate that. But you're making yeah. a strong case about a horse that's going to be a big price, and I'm tempted to throw the four right back in. Who else you like in here? Yeah, in, in, in my trail off and thinking you'll find this funny, Gil Alexander's co-host that his name is escaping me on the Megapods, uh, has a on the bit. Megapod or on the early week show? It's Kelly Megapod Bingham. does a – what's his well, name? Well, on the Megapod, he he always has uh, – maybe you're thinking of uh, – maybe you're thinking of uh, of Will? No, Cork Attic. Oh, uh, Todd Wishnev. Todd. Uh, we need to get Todd on here to do a spot for me because if he could do the race call in a Yinzer accent of Sacred Dancer getting the nose down at the wire at the eighth pole, oh, my gosh, here we go. I think that's what we need to get here. So the number four sacred dancer, but moving on the number three, uh, the favorite here, Leza de Luna, I, I think gets a perfect setup here. Second off the break and uh, just presses the inside speed of your horse that I think should get the lead here and uh, just sit a comfortable trip. So those two for me, and I have no idea why number six lady, Latana uh, La lady uh, at seven to two is at that short of a price. We loved her last time, but I think you're going to see that price drift up. I think there's a tougher group, harder setup, and I would imagine we'll see probably four or five to one on Latana Lady. She did get a very good run through last time. I guess my my looking at Luz de la, de la Luna, I think makes a lot of sense too. I, I was originally um, trying to get cute, but second race off the layoff after making the move into the fast pace when fresh uh, definitely seems like another one to at least mix into mm -hmm. the exotics. In race number seven, we've got stakes action in race number eight, the La Proviant. We're uh, looking at Ontario bred fillies. We're going a mile and a 16th. We only have the field of five in here. And uh, I was going to take a little bit of a shot against the favorite, but I'll ask you the question this way. Are you with or against fashionably fab? I am against. Uh, I don't like the soft fractions last out. The win two back on the turf and the win three back on the dirt. Those aren't the surfaces we're running on today. And I think it's way too short of a price to back. And I'll be on the number five, Strega, at four to one. Um, I think it's a speedster four-year-old with upside still making a second start. And I think this one's going to get bet down and has a little bit of a finish. And, yeah, just didn't like the turf last out. So the number five, Strega, for me at four to one seems like what a gift on in a five-horse field. Also moved into that fast pace and I think should be well suited by the stretch out to a mile on a 16th. And yeah, maybe uh, with, with, with all the form lines, all the intersecting form lines in here, and there's an opportunity we can, uh, we can get a decent price if, if maybe not quite four to one, hoping that Strega can put a spell on them in the <laughs> Let's move to race number nine, where we'll close things out with a 10 dime claimer. Phillies and mares once again, mile on a 16th. Field of eight when it comes to all these late picks, Drew. How are we going to get paid? Uh, through logicals. Uh, the number five, Speedy John, a three to one, continues to face neutral. Pace flows in the last three starts. Today gets blinker, so maybe he's up towards it a little closer. And three to one feels like a decent price. The number one, oh, wow, at five to two. No pace pressure projected at all in this race. It should be an easy run of it. Maybe even on the lead at five to two seems like a good price. So anchoring on those two, that's it. 
for me, I was actually just going to go one better and just single a wow, the one runner who I thought had a, a real opportunity to just bury them on the lead in the spot. Lots of agreement last week. Now I'm going to do that. I'm going to commit a, a broadcasting sin here, right? Ask you a question that I don't know the answer to, and hopefully we will not embarrass ourselves falling all over ourselves, trying to find it while we talk, though maybe some stallifying will help. We did have that big disagreement about a horse last week that you thought was going to make the lead. And I thought was not going to make the lead. And I can't remember what happened in the race. I want to, I want to go back and, and, and deliver a receipt for one of us in that, uh, in that head to head we had, do you remember the race I'm talking about? Or are we, are we going to be scrambling here? I do remember the race you were talking about. Let me pull it up on my PPs real quick. Cause I, I don't delete my notes from the weeks prior. Perfect. It was, uh, we, we had silken dollar at 10 to one. Um, that horse did get bet down to like we thought of to five to one and race eight, the Clarendon stakes, the number three midnights mascot. I think we were all on board with that. Um, and Onella. So I don't know which one we had the disagreement on. All right. Let me, let, now, now we got to pull up my notes and, and see if we can uh, see if we can figure this out. Here it is. Woodbine two, two. This is the good thing about keeping this stuff. Yeah. I was with midnight mascot. I was with Onella. So it had to be in race number seven. Who won race number seven? Maybe we can figure this out. Trading Bay at 36 to one. And I think the question was, will Silken Dollar get close to the lead? Or is go. that? Or is That's that what it was. Race? That's totally what it was. And I said, I said, no. Sort of funny that the race ends up being wired by a 16 to one shot. Makes me think we were both just basically wrong about, uh, about that one. So there you go. We, we bring up a nice, uh, we, we'll, we'll end the show humble after having completely botched that one, a, a head-to-head that no one wins. Well, not so fast. I was, uh, Silken Dollar was pressing pace and second the entire way around until fading late. So well, my point was, wouldn't be fast enough to make the lead and couldn't get past a 16 to one shot. So I, yeah, I don't, okay. well, I don't feel take, like there's too much egg on my face for that one. <laughs> I'll eat my humble pie. And, and, and while we're talking about food and humble pie, I did want to share a quick recipe with you. We have a few seconds. Uh, this is one of those, if you want to impress someone, this is a great, easy recipe anyone can do. Take a bunch of cherry tomatoes, peel right. two or three cloves of garlic, and throw them in a like baking sheet, like a, a loaf pan that you would bake bread in. Cover that with oil, take a rosemary sprig, and dunk that in there. Put it in the oven at 350 for about an hour. Take that out, drain all the oil off, put it on a plate, get some burrata, Throw that on top, cut that open, sprinkle some of that oil you just made, garlic confit, and serve with some toast points. And oh my goodness, what a what an easy way to to impress someone if you're trying to make something for any of these bowl games coming up, or for any of the Christmas holiday activities you have going on. It's a good little. You know what I think when you're telling that story is you could do that. You know, late summer when there's just like when tomatoes get very cheap and they're all around Mm -hmm. you could do that as a preserve with the oil you know you could make it sort of like a tomato garlic confit thing and just like store it in the oil and then and then bust it out if you wanted to do that as like a fresh produce thing that you could have you know that little that little taste of summer all year round i mean these days you can get decent cherry tomatoes now so it doesn't really matter but I, i i go back to you know I go back to thinking about the old Italians with their summer kitchens and what they would have done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would make a great pizza sauce as well. Smash some of those 
roasted tomatoes in there and throw burrata on top and mozzarella and you're off to the races. So, so you know, uh, Belmont, you're talking about pizza. I have to think about the, you know, the oven in the backyard at Saratoga might have to give that a workout on, uh, for, for this whole Belmont at Saratoga thing, four day meeting that pretty much everyone I've spoken with about is excited with the one notable exception of Perrin. I told Perrin hmm. she'd be excited. Perrin, we're going to be able to go to the Belmont Stakes in Saratoga. She said, Daddy, the Belmont Stakes should be a Belmont, not Saratoga. <laughs> About the construction. And she was like, well, I'm a, I'm a little bummed out because I wanted to bring a friend this year. I said, you know what? You can bring a friend to Saratoga, too. And then she got excited. So everybody's everybody's happy now. Uh, any chance you'll be making the trip up uh, for that one? I don't know yet. Um Looking at Saratoga for the regular meet, that's exciting. But I will say one positive thing. Everyone listening to the show likely is very invested in racing in one form or another. And I was very uh, pleasantly surprised to hear one of my coworkers say, did you hear the news? I said, what news? They said, it's coming to Saratoga, Belmont. <laughs> this person's uh, in and out, maybe race fan at best, but... I was excited that someone at work was telling, talking to me about some news yeah. they heard about racing. That is a great thing that we need more of. And I was more than happy to answer any questions this person had because we need to keep growing the game through that. So I was, it was a little without nice going, silver lining. Without going into the weeds on it. Yeah. Compa compared to some of the things that randos uh, from work have been asking us about our sport in the last few years, I'll take that one every day of the week and twice yeah, on Sunday. Good stuff, Drew. Always a pleasure having you. We're going to get back to doing some football challenges, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Been uh, talking to a partner about uh, getting that back up and running. Looking forward to that. Uh, did you have anything NFL strong uh, this weekend? I haven't even handicapped yet. No, no, no. Uh, after last night's, uh, as I called it, a staring contest between uh, the Steelers and the, the Patriots, uh, no, I don't have anything yet. Uh, you punished yourself by watching that game? I'm, I'm impressed. I did not. I did not. No, oh. even though I did take both sides of that game in a 10-point uh, teaser league that I have, having to pick uh, four teams with 10-point teasers, I took both sides of it. So it worked out very well. That's good. Yeah, that works out perfectly. That's that's sort of a fun that's sort of a fun concept. Is that just a friend a friend thing? Pick them up, Whoever picks the most games at the end of the year uh, wins kind of thing? Yeah, we, we have a spreadsheet. Someone works it. I've never met this person. There's 80 people. If you bust, you owe $5 to everyone who won for the week and, and vice versa. If you won all four, then you collect your money. So, um, yeah, it's good. It's a spreadsheet. There's 81 people in it. So, you know, there's there's enough skin in the game to make it interesting. I'm still smarting from bouncing out of the Marshall Graham uh, survivor pool. I, I, of course, of course, everything has gone perfectly since uh, since I got bounced out. But whatever, at least I've Who been bounced you. Oh, uh, I lost with the uh, the ridiculous Denver Bills game. I think it was was what was mm. what was what eventually, mm. was what eventually mm. got me. It, it was not pretty. But it, you know, that's it's the fun. It's the fun of these things. I, the big, the big survivor getting down to the wire. Speaking of things that uh, Gil talks about on his shows, and if you don't know who we're talking about, Gil Alexander, absolutely the best. Beating the book Legend. is the podcast feed. Yeah, sort of. Oh, really? The 
you know, I think he's the us of, of sports betting, which is obviously mm-hmm. a much bigger ecosystem because there was a time when it was him and Chad Millman. And those were the only gambling shows I can remember. And I don't think Chad is, I think he's like gone off in the, in the magazine world and is I'm not sure he's still doing a, a pot or at least not doing the same one. So oldest continually running. That's how I describe it with us too. Cause of course we weren't first, but we're the oldest continual continuously running. Uh, that honor goes to Derek Simon and the old you bet shows. At least that's what I think it is. Unless you count, Travis Stone in the year uh, 2002 doing the little internet radio show from his closet. But those, that was like three, three podcasts, but that that's all the, the history of this stuff. Anyway, I don't know how yep. we go on the tangents we go on, Drew, but they're always a lot of fun, at least for me, hopefully for the listeners as well. Hey, I love it. And five years is coming up soon. So that, that yes. means to everyone. Yes, that's a great point. I'm glad you reminded me. The fifth anniversary of In the Money on its own will be Christmas Eve. We will obviously have to do something special um, to celebrate that one. We'll have good content, too. And obviously, the reason we started then was uh, Santa Anita opening day. And then, of course, with these uh, Gulfstream pick threes, this is a good chance to mention that we'll have separate shows about those Gulfstream pick threes. Uh, JK waiting for us in the green room as we speak. We're going to get to those and drop them elsewhere on the feed. And then good evergreen content earlier this week on the feed, too, with uh, JK catching up with Brittany and our little show about the uh, the Tucson conference, which we'll talk, I'm sure, a little bit more with later with Klaus. But I think we've, uh, to steal one more Gillism, we've done what we can do, Drew, and I uh, look forward to chatting with you soon. Cheers, buddy. Welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is the December 8th edition. A couple of uh, good Catholic boys on the podcast. Today's the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Don't tell my mother if I've been to Mass yet. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Aqueduct and the Saturday card coming up. Uh, as well as Turfway. I'll have a couple of guests on board, a couple of guys I'm excited to talk about. First of which, this, of course, is Nick Tamaro deputizing for Pete, at least on these two shows. He's going to do a couple of shows for Woodbine and the Japan Racing Association. And I am going to be joined by Twin Spires handicapper and uh, obviously racing enthusiast and fan and longtime handicapper, Darren Zocali. Darren, glad to have you on your uh, your maiden voyage, at least with me on, on these airwaves. Yeah, I appreciate it. I must be getting up there if I've become a longtime handicapper. I remember when I was viewed as a kid in the industry. So uh, it's, hard, it's hard to hear a long time. I guess I've been around a long time now. <laughs> you know, time time flies. So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you. I'm gonna call you a long time at least. There it, you go. It's, it, it's, it, it sounds like it bolsters your credentials. Your there you credentials go. Are fine, perfectly fine to begin with, but it only enhances <laughs> it. So Darren, you are the uh, you do the expert picks for Twin Spires on uh, at Aqueduct, uh, certainly at, at least on the weekends, right? Yeah, yeah, I do uh, Saturday and Sunday. That's correct. Okay, great. So everybody can find your expert picks there in the Twin Spires platform. Of course, a lot of info about each individual race, and uh, that's why I wanted to have you on to talk about this uh, Saturday pick six sequence. This is what we do every week for Naira, and uh, we're going to get started now in race number four at one forty-six Eastern time. Six furlongs on the main track, and you know, Darren, I'm sure you've experienced this as I have in handicapping Naira when you're dealing with David Jacobson having entered an entry. It is very frustrating, in large part because you don't know which half he's going to run. And this is a situation where if Colonel Vargo goes and Big Engine doesn't, then it really doesn't matter. But if it's the other way around, it really matters. No, it does 100%. Uh, Big Engine has certainly got some back form to him. Uh, and some races where he's run some figures that would make him a contender. The last three or so, though, are a little bit below 
the line of what I would make him, you know, need to be a contender in here. Whereas the, you know, Colonel Vargo's coming off a couple of races that certainly do stand out quite a bit, but yeah, it is a bit frustrating because if you're going to put together a pick six ticket, you're not exactly sure how deep you need to go here. And there are other contenders in here that you definitely can't ignore. Yeah, what about who who are some of those? And, and I was going to ask you specifically, excuse me, about Chuck Willis, who was first off a claim, one here a couple of weeks ago, went in the care of David Jacobson, now in Wayne Potts's barn, and they bet him when he won on the 26th of November like the race was already over. Yeah, they did. Uh, I'm a little bit questioned about him. He's drawn to the outside. There's speed to his inside. And I'm a little bit concerned about the trip that he's going to get. Not to mention the fact the last time he encountered Print Track, he tried to chase that horse around the racetrack and Print Track kind of left him in his dust there. Uh, and he's certainly been a horse that of the last three starts is getting better and better and seems to have uh, really found his best stride since being claimed by Rudy Rodriguez. Uh, and even the horse all the way to the inside for Jamie Nest, I think you need to take a look at Ego Man. I don't know what to make of the last race there, Nick. He was two to five and just simply did not fire at all at parks. But the previous races, from any speed figure standpoint, whether you're using DRF, Ragazin, whatever it may be, um, the figures certainly do kind of jump off the page. And if he works out a trip from an inside stalking spot with the speed in front of him, he's got more than a chance as well. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was interesting because he could come from a little bit off of it. I thought Airshow was a little interesting as well. He's going to be coming from off the pace. He's going to need to elevate his game a tad, but he does feel like he's worked his way into form. I even thought Mr. JT on the cutback, maybe he was on the wrong part of the racetrack last time out, and that worked a little bit against him because the, the key to this race is going to be the pace. And, you know, if you use Timeform US and you're looking at the pace projector, Chuck Willis is loose on this pace projector, but I don't believe for a second that the apprentice is letting Print Track get out, out sprinted early. I don't I don't see that. I mean, he went he sat just off the pace last time out because they were rolling. And um, and now I think in a situation where he's drawn towards the inside, he's kind of obligated to get in the mix. So this feels like a race that could at least have a decent pace, right? Yeah, it does, especially the way like like you mentioned, the fact the way the horses are drawn, you know, Print Track doesn't want to be in a spot where he allows uh, Chuck Willis to just cross over in front of him and he gets that horse in a compromised position down to the inside uh, the, the horse uh, Eagle man has got a little bit of pace as well. He doesn't want to be far behind. So I, I do think that the pace should be honest to say the least. Uh, and, and it might just come down to simply who gets the best trip of these horses that go forward. That seems totally reasonable. So your top pick in there is uh... my top pick yeah. is print track based off yeah. the last effort, uh, you know, just moving in the right direction, but it, it's hard from a strong lean for me. Unfortunately, I think this pick sequence pick six sequence starts with a race where you need to get some coverage. Yeah, that is, I totally agree. I think at the end of the day, I'll probably end up picking Mr. JT just for a price, but I do think it is a very, very competitive way to get the sequence started. The pick five starts in race number five. That's at seven furlongs on the main track. 12-5 claimers going post. We're here, and a lot of our old friends, undoubtedly a decent-sized field put together as well. You've got uh, Clem Labine, though, for David Jacobson on a huge class drop that's probably going to drift down toward even money. Yeah, and he's going to be a horse that pretty much everybody probably singles in this sequence. Uh, I'll be honest with you. This, these are the horses I led me. I, I want no part of four to five shots that are dropping for 50 down to 12.5. It's just not the way I handicap. He doesn't have a lot of early speed. His speed figures have gone in the wrong direction the last few starts, which is why he's in for 12.5 at age seven. Uh, I'm going to single, don't be late. Uh, he has a chance to be loose on the lead here. He's also getting a little bit of class relief. He's cutting back from a mile and an eighth and a mile here. 
Uh, so I think that's going to work to his advantage. And if he gets on the engine here and rolls a little bit and uh, and Clem Labine is far back, it might be a situation where they simply can't get to this horse who I think is dropping down to the right level. So I'm going to take a stand here. I'm going to zag when everybody else zigs, which is something that I try to do uh, as much as possible in multi-race exotics. And I'm going to single don't be late. Yeah, I love the approach. I, I totally agree with you on the pace angle. I think that Lane Luzzi is a great fit for for this horse being that uh, that Lane is somebody who's comfortable being forwardly placed. And I mean, look, this the race that this horse is coming out of, I know it was just eight days ago, but I mean, that was about as much of a collapse race as you could find. And, and they all packed together towards the finish, but it had a lot to do with the pace that they had gone early. And uh, he was very, very much involved in it. Obviously, no great concern about seeing this barn bringing a horse back in one to 10 days. They do it very, very frequently. And Luzzy and uh, Randy Persaud combined for a nice priced winner at Aqueduct last Thursday. It also felt to me, Darren, like, I mean, you look through the rest of this field and good luck embracing anybody. I mean, it's, it's very hard to take anybody else. I could understand maybe a little support for a horse like critical threat on the big class drop, but with the rail and his recent form, he's just not for me. Yeah, exactly. And and I almost landed on don't be late by process of elimination because like I said, the favorite is just a horse that I am not going to land in the corner of and I'm going to try to beat. And like you said, critical threat is a similarly large drop who's been in terrible form of late. And and just from that process of elimination, when I take a look at this race and say, wow, don't be late might end up on the lead. He's got a little bit of class to him. He's dropping a touch, but it's an understandable drop. That's how I was very easy for me to land on this horse. I'm not saying he's an easy stone cold cinch by any stretch. It's just the way that I handicap and how I approach the races. For me, he's a logical horse to take a stand uh, with in this spot. No, I think it's great rationale and a good approach to take with a horse that's going to be a decent enough price. Race number six is at six furlongs. Uh, of course, all the races on the main track. A uh, state-bred maiden special weight event, bringing together a couple of horses that faced one another on November 16th, one of whom will be part of an entry that will likely uh, end up going off favorite here. That's the 1A Barry Funny. I actually preferred the two Caldo Candy of those two. I thought he was a little bit uh, more involved early. He was quite a bit more involved than Barry Funny. And I think that worked against him ultimately. I wondered if this might be an opportunity for the apprentice Luis Rivera Jr. to get aggressive from the rail and try and take him the distance on Caldo Candy. Where did you land here in this tricky sixth race? Yeah, that's part of the reason why I singled the last race, because like you said, this race was tricky. I thought Caldo Candy certainly has a big shot for all the reasons that you said. He's second race back off the layoff. He showed good speed in what was a quick race, just got a little bit tired late and now cuts back in distance. Um, the interesting thing is of the two horses that are going out here uh, of the entry, Good Reunion ran a monster figure on Ragazin. and it came up a 13. I know he's stepping up in class and he was 25 to one, but he actually is coming off of a big figure and is a nice compliment to Barry Funny if they both go. And then you have the question of the two first-time starters here. Um, I'll mention Flip's Dream quickly, just simply because Bruce Levine does some of his best work with first-time starters. It's a plus ROI uh, for him. Bellamy Road, not necessarily known as throwing uh, winners that much out with uh, with debut runners. I think he's about 8%. But the other firster is the one that's interesting for me. Jonathan Thomas is very shrewd. He's had this horse working at Turfway. He had a bullet on November the 18th, best of 109. 47 seconds over that surface is really, really moving nick and this horse is just well spotted they send the horse back to new york to face new york bread company and it looks like just a really good uh spot that jonathan thomas has found for this horse and i wouldn't be surprised at all if he fires at first asking yeah they paid real money from two hundred thousand at the uh, timonium sale back in may of 2022 a son of central banker flipstream who you mentioned is kin to laura's bellamy and posse can disco 
I think both horses were trained by Bruce Levine. One may have been Gary Gullo before he retired, but it's a, it's a family that includes some horses that can run. Um, Roland and Doe's dam side includes uh, a couple of winners, a five-time winner, Red Hurricane, who banked 76000 It was the sale workout that made them go to that level. And and obviously, Jonathan Thomas, good with first-time starters. You, you mentioned it. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a very competitive race. I didn't think that the three Friday I'm in love, I think, which is a terrific name, given the pedigree. Um, I didn't think this horse was impossible. I thought he landed in a really tough maiden special weight event back at Saratoga in his debut. One of the concerns I had about it, though, is that you did have a number of horses come out of there and just kind of perform okay in subsequent starts. But, um, yeah, this was a super, super competitive race. Yeah, very tough. Uh, was a spread race for me. I, I'm probably going to end up four deep in here. I don't think I could afford to include Friday. I'm in love, unfortunately. But uh, I certainly see the standpoint. I'm probably using horses like like one, two, uh, four, and seven in here to get through. Hopefully uh, not including Friday, I'm in love, won't leave you in search of the cure. Oh, dad joke. Oh, man. Oh, I had to do it. Seventh race, seven furlongs, a two other than optional claimer at the uh, 62.5 level. And we've got uh, a field here of horses kind of coming from all walks of life, which is not all that uncommon for this time of year. But uh, I, I guess the majority of the attention from the betting perspective is going to be on the six awesome native and the seven legends can't die. They're the two morning line favorites. They really come at this uh, slightly differently um, in terms of running styles. Awesome native likes to come from way off of it. Legends can't die has quite a bit more speed and most recently ran very well on the turf. I don't necessarily love that Eric Cancel is on Legends Can't Die because he's generally not one of the more aggressive riders in the colony. And it really feels like any advantage this horse has kind of starts and stops with the first couple of furlongs, right? I, I agree. I, I don't love him in this race. Um, I'm always a little bit dubious of horses that, you know, recent form, you take a look at his race two back and it was an off the turf event over a sloppy sealed track where it earned a big figure. I know he's run well on dirt before at Gulfstream Park, but he's been an in and out or depending on spots. Obviously, he ran against White Abario back in March, and we shouldn't hold that against him. But I agree with you from the standpoint of pace. Um, victorious Wave, Magnolia Midnight has to go from the inside, which could muddy the pace situation just a little bit. Of the two favorites, uh, I definitely prefer Awesome Native, but I do mention that he took advantage of what I thought was a really good racetrack that day that played kindly to horses coming from off the off the pace. And he's going to get a decent setup here. I don't know if there's going to be some kind of a wild speed duel that's going to set things up for him. But And because of that, I actually like the two inside horses at a little bit of a price, Magnolia Midnight and Victorious Waved. Obviously, they need to avoid any type of a speed duel here. But Magnolia Midnight has won four of his last five starts. He's moved in and out of different classes, different company. Starter allowance, a tough 40 claimer, two back. And Victorious Wave was an entry-level allowance winner that ran very well as the beaten favorite against the non-winners of two other than group. This is obviously a tougher spot, but now you're getting 8-1 to one on that horse where he was 8-5 to five last time. So I'm going to include those two horses at a price from the inside, Nick. What did you think of Trafalgar second off the claim for Linda Rice coming back quickly off kind of a non-effort last week? It felt to me like a, a, a situation where she might have had this in mind, knowing which races were coming up in the book. And I do think there's an argument to be made that ultimately this horse might be better going a little bit uh, longer. So I didn't know exactly what to do with him. I didn't either. Uh, he scares me a little bit, admittedly. And if I was somebody who had very deep pockets, he's definitely one that I would include. Um, but his form, again, you, you just don't know when he's going to show up with his best effort. He's running some tough races before. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, he's, they're wheeling the horse back in a week. They might have had this spot all, all, all uh, the while kind of in, in the back of their minds. Uh, 
you know, the last race might have just been a way to get, uh, you know, a good tightener under him. Uh, and I certainly recognize that. But again, I don't necessarily think that there's a ton of pace signed on here and he's going to have to do his best running late. Um, so a little bit concerned about that, but I'm also very leery of him as well, because I do think he's a, he's a player. Yeah. It's just that kind of race. I think one where you're going to, you're going to have to be a little bit, uh, discerning in terms of, of how much bankroll you have and what you can get to, um, because it's, it is, it is a tough bunch, no doubt about it. On to race number eight, the Garland of Roses, the featured event on this Saturday card. And we've got the connections that were uh, represented by Dr. B in last week's go for one back for more with the one disco Ebo Butch Reed ships up this Pennsylvania bred daughter of Wygelia, who is four for five in 2023. The only blemish being to her stablemate morning matcha when she was three to 10, a couple of months ago, or actually six months ago. Um, and she of course came back and won one of the New York bred stallion series events last weekend. You also have Olga Isabel for Brad Cox, who, has been in very good form, now steps up into stakes competition. I've been impressed with the work that Linda Rice did with uh, Headland, and then she was claimed by George Weaver and looks to try and get back going on the dirt. It's a pretty, pretty good race. It, it's a very good race. Uh, I went back and forth on it. I mean, th- there's one of two ways that you that you look at this race. This race is either going to be about the horses that are forward and, and the best of the speeds is going to prevail, or this thing is going to come from off the pace because there is a lot of quality speed in this race uh, led by Disco Evo, who probably is the horse to catch here. Um, this is a separator race for me. I'm going to go a heavy lean on number four, You Look Cold. Um, just from the standpoint of how this pace is going to set up, you take a look at the races two and three back at Saratoga, which are probably the, the blemishes from a figure standpoint on the recent form. Those were both over sealed racetracks. If you take those races out, you take a look at the speed figures around them, whether it's Bayer Ragazin, they look really solid against this group. He finished in front of Can't Hurry Love in that May Allowance event. He was a head, uh, head defeat that day. Was a strong win last time. I think he's going to get a, she's going to get a very good setup here with Dylan Davis aboard. So this is going to be a race where I lean on a price horse, try to separate myself from from the pack because, like we talked about, there's a lot of tough races. This is a tough race as well, but I have an angle that I can approach here, and I'm going to try to take advantage of it. I like it. I think it's a great approach. I do think there's going to be pace in here, as you alluded to. I think Hot Fudge and Olga Isabel will certainly force the issue along with Disco Ebo. I don't think that Frankie Pennington is making the ride over to rate Disco Ebo and knowing Butch Reed's horses uh, from, from the time that's gone by. They don't do that very often. So uh, I think it's a, it's a, an excellent approach in taking a horse from a little bit off the pace. I did think that Headland, who I mentioned, was a little interesting just based on that effort two back in the gallant bloom. I don't know if maybe there was something uh, about the pace that day and and Headland was, of course, one of the two horses disqualified, putting Caramel Swirl first. I don't want to hold that turf race against her last time out. Not only was it probably not her preferred surface, but, you know, it was just a result that doesn't matter when push comes to shove. So a little interesting for me, maybe at a, at a decent enough price, but your you look cold is going to definitely offer a little bit more value with the windows. Good addition of the Garland of Roses that, of course, is also part of the cross-country pick five that will combine three races at uh, Oaklawn with two races at Aqueduct, the ninth at Aqueduct is at seven furlongs on the main track. Maiden special weight New York breads. And I think a lot of people will try and close this out with second time starter Dolce Veloce. I don't know why we're supposed to take this horse who was beaten first time out at one to two, but generally Bill Mott horses do improve second time out. What did you think of her and everybody else? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I get it, but I mean, I didn't love the race by any stretch of the imagination. The figures didn't come back particularly strong. You know, I, I look at Ragazin numbers, the race wasn't that quick. Uh, I certainly expect her to get better. As you mentioned, Mott horses are not necessarily known for their prowess first time out. So uh, I totally get it. But uh, for me, uh, I, I like the effort from Scarlet's Dream last time. I thought that was a much improved performance. Um, this is a horse that was extremely wide in that spot. Uh, I thought ran on well, held her ground throughout the stretch. I like the cutback of Furlong here, back to seven furlongs. The debut, you know, uh, money get, money grab came out of that race to win. Um, Pat Reynolds is, hasn't won yet, but his horses are running very well on the meet. Uh, Davis is sticking uh, with this horse. So for me, of the two favorites, I actually preferred Scarlet's Dream. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't have any argument with that. I thought the mile effort was very solid and uh, really positions her well going back to seven eights to get close. There shouldn't be terribly much speed in here, at least based on what we've seen on paper. And I think that will help her cause as well. Did you give any consideration to the eight or the, uh, the seven or eight, I should say, both four to one shots on the morning line? They're both going to get some support and they come at this thing very differently. The eight being a daughter of DeMarchelier. Um, with you would think generally a little bit more of a proclivity for turf, but did run well first time out, albeit on a sloppy track and fabulous Fox who debuted on the turf. The public loves these kind of horses that make a, a you know, a somewhat what looks like a meaningful run in a race where they finish in the money and then they come back. Yeah. So photo finish for me, you know, like you mentioned over the sloppy track, I think this is going to be a turf filly in the future. And now if she gets a dry surface on Saturday, I'm a little bit concerned about that. She was also 43 to one in that spot. No money that day, so a little bit leery of taking any type of a shorter price here. Fabulous Fox of the two, I prefer more. Um, yeah, going to dirt here, there is a there is a, certainly a dirt pedigree. Christoph Clement not putting this horse away for the winter uh, and, and trying the spot in the dirt, I think, is a positive indicator as well. Uh, I prefer Fabulous Fox of the two, um, but uh, I, I don't love either, to be honest with you. Yeah, I kind of agree. I didn't really want to go out of my way to use either one. I prefer Scarlet's Dream as well in that nightcap. Good sequence. Darren, thank you so much for joining me. It's, uh, it's a, you know, just because it's this time of year doesn't mean the racing's bad at all. And while we wish the fields were sometimes 10 and 11, a lot of these 7, 8, 9 horse fields can be uh, just as competitive and certainly offer plenty, plenty of good wagering opportunities. And we need those good wagering opportunities to support our wallets as we head to the holiday season as well. So hopefully we can connect on uh, some items over the weekend. No doubt about it. Big thank you to Darren Zocali for joining me. You, of course, can get Darren's expert picks on Aqueduct Saturdays and Sundays in app for Twin Spires or, of course, on the desktop application as well. We're going to go ahead and move along on today's show. Up next on the Friday Players podcast, I am joined by one of Kentucky's finest, one originally of Pennsylvania's finest, the one and only Kevin Kirstein from Churchill Downs, who, of course, is a big proponent of Turfway Park Racing. KK, we're going to put you on the spot right away. The meet is about seven days in, six days in. Have you made any money betting on Turfway? <laughs> Unfortunately, I have not. Well, I, I'm about even. So it was. I had a rough night last night. So I was uh, alive, and a couple of buddies of mine were alive in the late pick four, and we played it so that way – the, the last race was impossible, so we had an all in the last race. And so we go in, get the will pays, we get, you know, three square prices. Um, and in the last race, we're allowed to some, you know, pretty big bombs, like, you know, four figures, even one that was paying like 26 grand. And the favorite was returning 400 bucks. And at the top of the lane, in, in Turfway style, you know, it's, there's a, you know, a, a cheaper uh, maiden that's on the rail, and looks like he's 
defeated since the three eights ball. And all of a sudden he fights back right to the wire. And the $4,000 choice that we had that was going to his outside got defeated by a nose and we got 400 bucks back. But that means we can just fire even more this weekend. I was going to say, I kind of knew where that story was going to end. You could see it from a mile away and it always works out that way. I tell people all the time, one of the greatest ways to make yourself nervous about a sequence is having a number of horses in the last leg because what you're trying to do is fight against that bad one coming in. But hey, at least you hit and you're, you got some bullets ready for Friday night and Saturday night. We're going to take a look at Saturday night's late pick five, which begins in race number five at 7.55 Eastern time. It's a maiden special weight event at six furlongs. I guess this feels like a pretty decent spot for the 11 pinfire off of a couple of good turf sprint efforts at, uh, at Churchill. You know, what did you think of this horse? Are you somebody that's going to basically almost blindly take good turf form and assume that it'll translate to the synthetic? You know, I like to do that a little bit. Uh, you know, overall in this race, I'm against him. And, and the way that this late pick five, you know, is shaping out, you're definitely going to have to have a bankroll, I think, to tackle this bet, uh, which doesn't mean, you know, you tackle that late pick five and then maybe wheel back with the uh, the late pick four with some, you know, different opinions if you're trying to do that A-B strategy. Uh, you know, the good turf form makes this horse live in this race. Uh, but there's a couple others that I, I thought were intriguing to use in the tickets. The one that, uh, you know, if I had to pick a, a top choice in this race, I think the seven is very intriguing. Wishful thinking, who's uh, owned by the Fairfellow Farms, trained by Rusty Arnold. He's ridden by Gavin Ashton. This horse is 12 to 1 on the morning line. And if you dig down in the damn side of the pedigree, this horse is a half to, you know, several horses that have been productive on the all-weather surface. Now, Rusty Arnold isn't the greatest at, you know, getting horses ready first time out. Uh, but this horse does have some potential at uh, being successful going on the all-weather surface first time out. And he's also based at Keeneland, where he was working on the training track down there, which is an all-weather surface. So there's some things to like about that horse. The price is square at 12-1 uh, at to 1 on the line. So, you know, I, I think he's definitely one to include. You know, going against the 11, Nick, I'm, I'm also going to use the 4, 5-star G-Man. He has so much sort of that, you know, all-weather pedigree on the bottom side where he's a half to some, uh, you know, a couple horses that have been successful on the all-weather. And then maybe throw in the one uh, stonks from Mike Maker who has a little bit of uh, that all-weather pedigree on the bottom side. So that's sort of my handicapping in these maidens. And especially, you know, you're seeing like the one who's 0 for 10 lifetime, but, but making his first start in the all-weather. Is there some pedigree there that he's going to handle his surface? Uh, or do you, you take a horse like the 11 who's going to have you know, the good turf form that you have to assume is going to transfer over to this all-weather surface. So that's sort of my, you know, high-level uh, tackling of these maiden specials, especially for the older horses up here at Turfway. So against the 11 a little bit, but if you had to hold a gun to my head, 7-4-1. I like it. Good way to get the sequence started in that maiden special weight event. The second leg is race number six at six furlongs. Two life claimers go postward here. We've got a two to one morning line favorite number four, Jennifer, my love in for a tag for the first time, a winner two back at Kentucky Downs found uh, one other than allowance company at Keeneland, a little bit too tough and is now immediately in for the tag, likely to be somewhat popular at the claim box. I do think that she'll have a, a somewhat tough competitor in the six what's to do, but I don't need to go on and on about it. Steve Asmussen is not somebody who specializes on synthetics at all. This horse felt like a big fade to me. Yeah, this is what makes the sequence so tough, Nick, is because this race and, and my mindset, at least when I when I play Turfway, is, you know, spread in the lower level races because those usually sort of seem to have that Turfway chaos that we see to, you know, have these balloon payouts that uh, are night in and night out at Turfway and then try and narrow in some of the more 
races that have uh, some pedigrees and some, you know, form that's based around them. And, and this race, which makes it tough, is, you know, I, I think there's a number of horses who could win this race. And it's a spread is in spreading as much as I can. The one horse I thought of a price to include is the two Jackie Spirit, who's trained by Matt Cordenbrock, who uh, has made his, his base up at Turfway the last couple of years. And I just thought this horse was a little sneaky on paper. So he claimed this horse uh, from Carlo Vacareza um, on September the 28th and then uh, went up to his base at Turfway and automatically works a half in 46 and three and don't really see that too often from from matt's horses and then uh raises this horse two levels at churchill which sort of seemed like maybe getting a race under this horse's belt or, or under her belt before she goes back to turfway where she's obviously shown that she can you know breeze 46 uh which is more than a lot of these horses could do in this race so it's very intriguing a very sneaky horse PA bred Tyler Connor gets aboard who uh, had a, a double last night on the program on, on Thursday night's card. So I think uh, Jackie spirit is very intriguing at 15 to one on the line, but you know, overall I'd spread as much as you can two, four, five, six, eight, nine. Uh, I think those horses all have uh, some legitimate chances, but got to have the bankroll and a very uh, tough race in the second leg of the late pick five. Casting a wide net over that race number six. Let's go to the seventh, the My Charmer, at a mile and a sixteenth on the Tapita surface. And we've got another big, bulky field going postward here. I do think that the three Katish, now in the care of Mike Stidham, with some excellent back synthetic form, looks like a very formidable competitor. But of course, as is the case night in and night out with Turfway Racing, we've got a lot of horses in here that look like they can win, including the eight Malfi, who comes in off a fourth place finish in the Ontario Matron. I didn't think the nine Traffic Song was impossible. Now in Sarah Hamilton's with some excellent back turf form it's a fun race yeah it is a really fun race and you know the one thing that's uh cool with uh the my charmer is so we partnered with claiborne farm this year and it's uh called a series called make your mare and so we see year in and year out in the you know the september and november breeding sales that uh, there are a lot of horses that uh are racing or broodmare prospects that you know instead of going away right away to the broodmare shed here's your opportunity to get some black type before you go to the broodmare shed and uh and, and Claiborne has offered the top three an incentive to uh, you know, get credits at their farm for stallion pairings in their future after they're they're done with their racing career. And so, you know, if you win this race, you're going to get the lion's share of $125,000 purse if you're a Kentucky bred. Plus, you get $10,000 in Claiborne credits for a, a future stallion pairing. And so you sort of look at some of these horses that have that back form and see, oh, maybe are they going to run for their five or six-year-old year? Or maybe this could be their swan song. Uh, a horse that I think may be the swan song is the four uh, community adjusted who I thought, uh, you know, lends uh, a help, uh, a shot on your ticket. She uh, is a horse that is adding blinkers after her lone all weather try last time out at Prescott Isle Downs. And that race, you know, albeit it was probably lesser competition. I just thought that, you know, the way that she was, uh, you know, she went wide in that race off the turn. I thought the blinkers are going to move her up in this spot. Abel Cedillo uh, is a capable rider. He hasn't gotten off to the best start yet at Turfway, but he's very capable. I think she's one to maybe include, uh, as well as the number eight, Mofi, who, uh, you know, last time out in the Ontario Matron, she she ran a great race as the 2-1 the to one favorite in there. She just came up a length short. I think she's a very uh, dangerous filly to use in this race. She's 5-2 to two on the line. This is a race where I'm just using those two. Um, I, I thought Katish is a play against for me. I can see why on her back form that she would be a play for many people, but she's coming off of a layoff since early May. So I'm just gambling that maybe she's not quite fit enough to tackle this, this spot here, but it's a very uh, fun race. Just the four and the eight for me. 
Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to go a little thinner if you can. I did think that uh, that Katish could be a little dangerous, but we'll see if maybe she needs one off a layoff. It does feel like a race that could have some pace too, and I think that might work more in the favor of horses like Community Adjusted and Malfi to a great extent when all is said and done. The eighth race is a three-life allowance event at a mile on the Tapita surface, and of course another you know bulky field here with a lot of contention, including a grade one winner, Point Me By, who won the Mr. I don't know what it was called at that point. I think the Bruce D at Arlington in 2021. Um, he is now searching for his third career victory. You also have the rush away winner from uh, earlier in 2023, rarefied flair. And I thought that might be all the angle that you wanted was this horse getting back to a surface that he'd run well over in the past, albeit when an upset winner back in late March. Yeah, I completely agree with this horse. And that was the day at Turfway where Chris Landeros obviously had his, his one of his best days of his career. I think he won four stakes that day at, at almost 30 to one on this horse. And, uh, you know, when you look at the, the races since, you know, ran in the Transylvania last time out or three starts back and was 59 to one, just didn't run a step that day. Uh, then came back on the dirt in the Texas Derby and just ran okay that day against, you know, probably a subpar field. And then uh, was off since, uh, you know, until November the 15th, where it, this horse was in an off-the-turf race and really just sort of went around the track and maybe just did a little bit of a, a breeze where this horse probably needed a little bit of fitness that day. So I'm willing to uh, just completely forgive the last race and, and use this horse going back to Turfway, where he did so well. The, the one thing that's difficult about these one-mile races is there's such a short run into that first turn. And so when you have horses like Bat Flip and uh, QF 75 in, in the, you know, outside two posts that are going to show some speed, they're going to have to show that speed in, in a very quick fashion because, you know, they're, they're so far to the outside. And so will it set up for a potential, uh, you know, pace duel and lead to a horse like rarefied flair having a perfect trip, uh, just from sitting off the pace. So I'm willing to, uh, you know, if you want to single him, I'm, I think there's a shot that, uh, he's, you know, a, a solid square price single. I also may include tall boy, uh, just going off of a, a solid turf effort last time out. This horse has been everywhere. He's been to Dubai. He's been to California. He's, you know, run against some, you know, top competition. Uh, I, I thought he just put everything together last time out. And Miranda Wrights, who finished second in that race, came back to win an allowance race at Del Mar last time out. So uh, I thought this horse may be a use on, on the tickets as well, the number seven tall boy, even though he's, you know, two for 12 and sort of been everywhere. I think he's finally maybe putting things together. I like it. I also think that Hilliard, who is going to be well-backed at the windows of the horse, it seems like he finds a way to lose every time. Uh, three second-place finishes by narrow margins just in the last five months or so. A horse that I think you can fade a little bit in some of the exotics. Race nine to close out this sequence is a 30 down to 20 maiden claimer at a mile. What a way to end it, especially with the favorite likely to be the four Mendel's fly, who has lost two races by a combined 25-plus lengths. I mean, this is just brutal to close things out. I mean, I'm going to have to have a talk with our director of racing, Tyler Picklesheimer. Like, come on, man. You can't be doing this to us gamblers. This is tough. Uh, but if you get it right, I mean, this, the payout here could be huge. Um, cloudy holiday from the inside for Joe Sharp. Uh, is a first-time starter, and uh, I, I think this horse, you know, is probably going to maybe get a little bit of play just because of the connections alone. Um, you, you have, you know, gosh, there's, there's a number of horses in here and, and Mendel's fly, you know, Dale Romans has done so well last year with the horses, you know, in December uh, coming up to Turfway. but this is just so tough to take a horse like this. Who's just been, you know, demolished in the last two races and that's just putting it nicely. Uh, so I, I think this is a race that you can spread as big as your tickets and uh, your bankroll, can have in here uh you know if 
I'm throwing some numbers out there. I'm I'm one, two, four, six, eleven. Uh, you know, the six is one that uh, I, I think is uh, a little sneaky. Working at the Skylight Training Center, which is an all-weather surface here in Kentucky, and uh, I, I think if this horse, you know, you, you see a 48 gate work at Skylight, um, you see a little bit things there on paper that you know may lead to this horse showing some improvement on the all-weather surface at Turfway, uh, then he did last time out at Indiana grand on the dirt. So, uh, spread as deep as you can, Nick, I hope your pockets are there for it. Maybe play some of the races early on in the card and, and boost that bankroll, uh, to get you out here in the last, but I'm going to try and hit the all burger like I, I did the other night. But if I can't, I'm just going to use those numbers that I just said. I like it. It is certainly an enervating task on a nightly basis to uh, play along with these turfway races, but can't say enough about how great the program has been and looking forward to taking a bit more of a look at this sequence and having some Saturday night uh, action, very little football on. So might as well switch the focus back to racing as we get deeper into the fall and the winter. Uh, KK, thank you so much for joining me. We look forward, of course, to your information on Twitter and elsewhere about turfway and everything else going on in the Commonwealth. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Appreciate you having me. Sorry I didn't give some uh, more in-tune opinions in some of these races, but that's the way I think Turfway is. you got to spread when the spreading opportunity is there, and when, when you like a horse, you just got to go sort of all in and, and take the gamble that you can get some big prices in those races that may have some chaos. So appreciate you having me on, and good luck this weekend. Anytime, my friend, if you find me somebody with narrow and strong opinions on Turfway, uh, make sure you let me know who they are and I'll, I'll solicit them for any future opportunities because I don't think that really exists in abundance the way these races shake out. But again, a big thanks to, uh, to Kevin for taking a look at this sequence for us and we're going to keep on rolling. Last but not least, we bring in a man who I had the pleasure of spending some time with out in the desert in Arizona. He's here today to do double duty, really, talking about what's going on with the JRA races this weekend and also to give a view on some of the Japanese runners appearing in Hong Kong. He's Klaus Ebner. Klaus, how are things? I'm good, Pete. How are you? Life is good. Yeah, pretty uneventful trip back yesterday. Did that thing where I got like the noon flight out. I went to San Diego for an overnight and then did the noon flight out. So you kind of burned the whole day, but it was still uh, got a lot of work done on the plane and things were good. Now, you as busy as you were with meetings, I don't know that you got to see much of what was going on uh, on the panels out there in Tucson. But did you uh, did you have a, a good experience? Did you get everything out of it you needed? Yeah, as you know, it's just uh, it's pretty nonstop for a lot of us that are there in the industry. We are working for our respective, you know, whether it be businesses or racetracks. You know, and for us, it's really just time to, to catch up with partners such as yourselves and, and kind of just hash out what we want to do for 2024. You know, it's kind of seeing what's new, what's exciting. And I think it's just, you know, it's an important part of the year where we all kind of come together, you know, uh, and I think exchange ideas and meet in person because you just can't do that on a usual basis. And a lot of that I think is lost through whether it be email or Teams messaging or anything else. You just sure. you can't beat that, uh, you know few minutes you may have over whether it be a uh, coffee or beer um, and uh, you know just get a chance to, to catch up with uh, not only friends but new partners there's no substitute even in the modern world there's no substitute for the old school FaceTime and you know maybe I don't know maybe a younger generation looks at this differently but for me especially like from a sales business point of view you're just so much more likely to get to a yes when it starts off with an in-person thing than, than a cold email followed by a zoom hey we've made plenty of deals that way it can happen but it's it's great and what I really liked was that you know Robert and Bill in their time organizing 
the, the conference have not shied away from controversial topics and folks interested can listen to the show we did earlier in the week where we get into all that. We're not going to get into that now, but whether it was talking about the category one stewarding or talking about especially the CAW players and the effect on their game, um, that was that there's no shying away from, you know, some hard hitting industry topics, the, the, the panel with, uh, with Steve Christ and with, with Jake Privman and, and Andy Beyer. But I'll tell you what class on the last day, one of my most exciting moments was getting to see some of the younger people in our industry up there. I thought the success stories panel left me just feeling so good about the future, just knowing that there are, young people, enthusiastic people, passionate people who get it and have great ideas. And hopefully they'll, they'll take care of us in our old age as well. Yeah, that's, that's the hope. And I, you know, and I, I know, I know both you and I are not getting any, any younger, at least on this one, I'm not calling us old, old bums, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, you're right, Pete, it's just, that's, that's the next generation of, of people that, you know, will lead to, you know, in the future, hopefully leading, leading the racetracks of tomorrow and taking us in a, in a direction and most importantly, you know, ho- hoping to learn from some of the errors we may have made ourselves in the in, in the current generation, and also in the past. So, you're right. I, I think it's very important that we have this new generation of not only fans but also you know potential racetrack executives who are kind of learning the ropes from people who have a vested interest in the industry and and want this industry to, as we all do, to, to succeed for the future. Yeah, that's a good. It's a very good point, and and I think we might do something different next year in, in a cool way, just an, an expansion of what we're already doing. But hearing about some of the the initiatives going on in racing, whether it's from a marketing, grassroots marketing point of view, or from an aftercare point of view, was my dad, one of the things he used to dip his toe into when he was doing radio, you know, radio stations had these commercial arms, of course, and they're selling lots of ads and stuff like that. But they also had public affairs departments. Basically, they would devote a certain amount of hours every week to things that weren't designed to make money that were designed more for like the good of, of the industry and the populace at large. And I think I want to do something like that next year, whether it's with ads or segments, just, you know, we try to do it to, to be head fake towards it now, but do something a little more programmed and regular where whether it's the, the women's summit or the work they're doing over at horse country or, you know, other aftercare providers, just giving a voice and, and helping to, to tell those stories. I mean, you as somebody in the industry, I would imagine you'd be interested in, in having an outlet that would do that type of work. Yeah, for sure. And I think you're right, Pete, you know, we're, we're always very good to poo-poo on ourselves in this industry and, uh, you know, shine a giant light on the negative, but you're right. There, there is lots of good being done out there, whether it be through aftercare facilities or at the racetracks themselves with, you know, um, numerous incentives they're doing for charitable organizations. So again, yeah, I, I agree, Pete. You know, there, there needs to be also a light shone on, on what good we're doing in the racing industry uh, to, to say, that, you know, hey, we, we do care. Uh, and there are other issues and positive issues that we have outside of the, the glaring negative ones that we have that everyone seems to want to focus on. Correct. And it's not about highlighting one to the exclusion of the other. It's taking a holistic approach. And I feel like we're in a good position over here in terms of our neutrality. And, and you know, it was a bit brought into relief to some of the people this weekend that we got to run into that we're in a position, and Woodbind are kind of similar, to be friends with everybody and, and maybe be a little bit at the center of some of these uh, some of these discussions, the fun ones and the not so fun ones. But it's time to talk about racing, my friend. Let's start off with the stated purpose of the segment. What do we got cooking in terms of JRA action Saturday night into Sunday morning? 
Yeah, so you know, we we've 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 taken a break from the uh the Equinox hype, if you want to call it that. You know, we, we, we did have we, a, we could actually start there with the with what's happened. Uh <laughs> we did get the news since our last broadcast of uh of of his racing career being over. Yeah, and then that's a sad thing. I think all of us were kind of hoping with, with you know, a, a glint of or a ray of of hope that we would see Equinox run in, in 2024. I know I was just kind of like, you know what? Uh, I think we just kind of saw him develop as a three-year-old. It wasn't the finished product. And we saw him, you know, this year just, uh, you know, explode on the scene in terms of race after race and dominating performances and world record performances, uh, giant ratings. And then also, you know, hey, is he the greatest ever kind of comments when you put him in some of the, the you know, the pantheon of who we may be up against. But, you know, I think for me is more just, you know, I was really hoping, Pete, that we would would see him, you know, the, and the the Silk Racing ownership kind of say, okay, you know what, let's let's take him worldwide next year. We know awesome. he's done in Japan; he's beaten the best in Japan. We're going to take him worldwide. Yes, we're going to tackle on that, you know, uh, poison chalice that is the uh, Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. So, um, I was hoping, I really was hoping, but uh, you know, again, I, I think we all know money talks and the the, the pure stallion value that he had or that he has is just insane. And I'm not sure if you saw the news, Pete, but they, they posted him. They posted the I fact did. that he'll be a stallion next year. Yeah. And he's already, he, he sold out within the span of two hours in Japan <laughs> uh, for his 2024. Uh, a record stud fee, right? Or, or if not a record yeah. stud fee, a record, record stud fee, which is, yeah, it's just 20 million yen, whatever that is in, in uh, the conversion. I don't have it handy, but uh, the most expensive horse to ever go to stallion in Japan. And it's even higher than what deep impact was when he went to, to stud in Japan, sold out within, you know, like I said, a couple hours for his 2024 breeding season. So, yeah, uh, I think the Silk Racing folks are happy about that yes. decision uh, and will have no issues with sending him to the breeding shed. Just about 140,000 is the is the conversion on, there you the, go. Uh, on that. So, yeah, not, uh, not insignificant historic stuff. We'll have to wait and look forward to the babies on the racetrack. All right, so you were saying a break from the Equinox hype. That's what's coming up this uh, this Saturday night, and we've got some action in terms of the juvenile fillies. We do, yes. So this is the the, the two year old fillies taking center stage in the Grade One Hanshin Juvenile Fillies, and of course Hanshin Racecourse. This is over a mile, and really this is kind of the the precursor to what you'll see for a lot of the big, you know, three year old fillies next year. You know, unlike sometimes when we have you know some of our top dirt horses, you know, in, in North America, not not you know kind of not kind of progress or move on to the Oaks. Well, usually this is one a race where you know the, the two year olds we will see them on the, the Triple Crown Trail the previous year, and a lot of times they will end up in the starting gate. You know, this is in my opinion, this is probably one of the most wide open editions we've had of the of the Hanshin Juvenile Phillies for a long time. You know, you don't you don't have that sort of wow you know overwhelming favorite in here you have you know a lot of horses that will probably be sitting at anywhere from you know four or five six to one and that's probably around you know four or five or six of them at that at those odds so you know if you're looking for some, some some value there's there's horses in there that you know they may be some of the favorites but you can probably get them at you know like they said that that maybe five or six or seven to one price range uh on the weekend so you know in terms of going through the field or they're you know if you look at horses who kind of have that current form you can look at a horse called Ascoli Piceno. This is a two-year-old filly by Daiwan Major. Two for two so far on the career. Was when it went last time out in the grade three Nigata Nisai Stakes. Uh, ran a really good time of uh, 133.8 for the win there. So, you know, I think she'll probably be, in my opinion, probably the top-rated horse in there in terms of the the, the uh, re- 
results. Um, you know, and that race last time it was against boys. So, uh, I think she has lots to like there. You know, she is untested, uh, in terms of going to the you know, right-handed, but I think she's, you know, she's probably one of the, the, you know, but uh, horses with more upsides is because again, you've already seen her run against, uh, some of the boys and, and win, uh, there's another horse in there called Corazon beats. Uh, you know, she's already had four races behind her. She's on a three race winning streak and she, uh, she claimed home really quick last time out in the grade two, uh, KO high and Eastside stakes, uh, which, you know, also landed her a two year old course record time in that, that race too. So, you know, she's a daughter of Suave Richard, who was the winner of the Japan cup, I believe in 2019. Again, I'm just uh, trying to get my brain going there, but, um, mm-hmm. I, I think she's, re- she's one who's, uh, gonna certainly be, you know, flying from the back. You know, she's, she's raced at, uh, at seven furlongs for the most part, this is a, a mile here. So I think she'll enjoy the stretch out to extra furlong. Um, and I, and I think one to watch from the back, we also have a horse in here called Safira, who's, you know, she's, she's interesting because she's a, actually a full sister to Salios and Salios in, in 2019 won the boys version of this race, which is the SIE high Futurity stakes in 2019. So gets back. He's, you know, this is a kind of a horse for course, if you will. He, he enjoys Hanshin race course. Uh, another one who, you know, is, is going to be probably closing. Uh, in her races, uh, and I think for for me, I, you know, I, out of the horses that are are kind of ones to watch for the future, I, for me, I think I think she's the one. If I were looking at you know a possible horse that could be a you know a possible uh, Oaks horse for the future, uh, I I like a lot of what she's offering there. Again, with that pedigree being by Heart's Cry out of uh, Salamina, it was a Lomi Tusk mare. So again, lots of like there. Second time, last time out in the uh, Artemis Stakes, and I, and I think we can uh, you know look towards Sophia as we to be for my at least in my opinion pedigree wise we want for the future and the last horse i'll look at is is kind of a, a horse i've kind of been following for a while there and that's stellenbosch kind of up and down horse you know she has two wins from three starts uh a second two starts back but you know the, the race last time out was uh, uh one against allowance company so she hasn't you know been tested against the the stakes cut, uh, caliber of horses yet but i do like the fact that they've had the you know that they've decided to to try her against uh, some some more tougher competition here and last time out she she ran a really good time in terms of one through 3.8 so i think you know out of all the field those are the ones i'm focusing on but again this is a certainly a, a wide open field on sunday Pete. it's competitive stellenbosch currently vying for favoritism with corazon beat but all in all when looking at this market you've got five horses in a very narrow band between about 4.0 and and, and 6.0 looking over at the markets on the humanity.jp site We'll remind folks that there's going to be a lot more information from Klaus and the team, including picks for all the races and past performances if you check in Saturday afternoon over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. So very much looking forward to that. Any other thoughts on this one, or should we turn to some of the Japanese runners who will be competing at the same time uh, elsewhere in the world? Uh, I do know we have uh, probably a lot of Chromies listening to this uh, broadcast, Pete. No doubt. So, uh so just one to watch in there. Again, I, I think she's got a bit of a chance in there. I think she's, you know, she's two for two, so she can't be that bad. Um, you know, she was, she's, you know, has beaten a few, including Stellenbosch. But uh, for the Chromies out there, you can look at a horse in the race called Spring Record, uh, who, who I think, or sorry, Spring Nova, rather. Uh, so Spring Nova in there, uh, she'll probably be, you know, a, a long price. I think she's, you know, right now 70 to one on humanity. So uh, if you like, California Chrome, and you want to, you know, take a big stab, Spring Nova is the one for you. 
look for some of those breeding eggs. Wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all to see California Chrome be end up being a good uh, broodmare sire too. You know, so so as as yeah. time goes on, um, it, it, w- it wouldn't shock me if that if that becomes if that becomes a thing. We'll we'll see we'll see how this one gets on and and what else happens on Saturday night into Sunday morning in Japan, where a lot of the eyes of the racing world will be on the Hong Kong International Night. We didn't get a sponsor this year, so we will be covering it, but it'll be on the plus side. I've got Michael Adolfson lined up to come by when he gets uh, done with his shift, his TV shift today. That'll be up on the feed if you're an In The Money Plus person, inthemoneypodcast.com slash plus for that. But class, so what we'll do is we'll, you know us, we, we never want to have all the stuff paywall. We want some information here <laughs> on the channel, and, and we're going to leave our fate in terms of the free side of things for these HKR races in your hands, or if you're not fully capped up, and not ready to give selections would love to just at least hear your thoughts on the Japanese runners and who we might be wanting to pay the most attention to. Yeah. And let's, let's do that Pete. Cause I, again, I don't, I, I don't want to steal any of the, the thunder that you and uh, Michael are working together. And just also another friendly dig to Michael that he still owes me for the uh, breeders cup turf head to head wager. Um, so uh... <laughs> I'll point that out to him. He was, he was so shocked. I've, I've I've known him a while now, and I've never seen him so shocked by a by, by a result in a race. By the way, <laughs> all good, all good. Most of them could act up pre. If that if that's any consolation, Michael, <laughs> that was apparently apparently freaked out on the way to the track. In addition to those antics we saw in the paddock, but so, so he all doesn't have to feel too bad. But you, yeah, you had an you had an excellent. It was um it was the third horse that you were on, right? No, no, I was actually, I, I told him, because I think we were both, you know, he said that uh, at well, the time, most of enough, I think he said most of the will curb stop anyone. And I just said, despite how I f- strongly I feel about Shariar, I, I said, I still think that August Rodin was the best horse in the race. So <laughs> that's what well, you hit I, that trifecta. I'm going to, I'm going to take a wild guess, unless you were wildly against the, uh, the American runner. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I was like totally against, uh, the American runner Pete. So yes, I was. Like I said, I, I, at the day, I had a very large straight-up wager August Renan out to Shariar, and uh, oh, I was not a big fan of the American horse that day. So. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's very, very rough. That's very, very rough. But we'll but let, yeah, t- tell, us about, tell us about these HKR races. It's such a huge event. I feel like it gets more attention, at least in this part of the world, it gets more attention every year. Um, very curious to hear what you think of the Japanese runners. Sure, yeah, and I think it's kind of a a mixed bag, if you will, for Japanese runners. And you know, for me, it's more uh, it's it's an interest here because I think some of them in here could be up and comers that we'll see on the world stage, and also obviously the you know racing in Japan moving forward. You know, so you have you know if we go race by race quickly, uh, we look at the Vaz first, which is the first race international race to be run. You know, we have a few in there from Japan. You have you know. Zafiro, Geraldina, and Labenstill, you know, out of the three right now, Zafiro and Labenstill are uh, the ones I'll be looking at right now. Uh, if you look at Zafiro, he's, you know, a winner of the Republic of Argentina last time out over a little, little over a mile and a half. Um, came from the back that day, came home in a, in a really sharp time. Joe Herrera was aboard that day. Um, but, you know, in terms of the, the VODs itself as a race, I don't think it's, I think it really, in my opinion, it's going to be either Japan uh, or Warm Heart. <laughs> That's yeah. my opinion in that, that race. If I'm going to say anything, I think Warm Heart's uh, obviously the, she's a real deal, but she's had a lot of travel. So, you know, it, 
I, I think that, uh, you know, Zafiro will be a bit of a price for me that I think that uh, I'll be playing. I like the fact that Damian Lane gets aboard here today. He was a, you know, Jar Marrero was aboard last time out. Um, you know, he's got the right connections with uh, Yasutoshi Ike as the trainer who, who knows how to win international races. You know, and, and this horse has kind of come along from the allowance ranks into now winning, you know, again, winning the uh, grade two last time out. Um, the interesting thing about this one is the fact that he was beaten by Rushan Park two starts back. Rushan Park's going to be in the cup. And that's how strongly uh, the trainer Tanaka thought about Rushan Park to put him in there. And then what did, you know, trainer Tanaka do? Well, he went ahead and, and brought a really developing three-year-old in the form of Labensteel into this race. Labensteel actually beat Soul Orion's last time out in the grade two, uh, St. Lee Keenan, which is, uh, you know, mile three eighths race. And that, you know, like I said, Pete, about developing horses. Uh, I spoke to trainer Tonaco. He's actually up at Woodbine for Canadian International Day Cut. So I kind of spoke to him about, you know, some of the horses he had, including Lemon Pop, who won. Lemon Pop, his horse, won last week in Japan, the grade one Champions Cup over dirt. So if you're looking for a trainer with a hot hand right now, it's this trainer from Japan. That's, that's uh, Hiro Tanaka. Uh, again, I said before, he's an upcoming trainer, and I think he knows what he's doing with this one here, uh, being Laban Still. So Laban Still will, will get the uh, services of Zhao Marrero, which is never a bad thing, as we both know in uh, in Hong Kong. So um, he's the real deal. Uh, I think he's the real deal in terms of Laban Still. So out of the three of them, you know, we have Geraldina, who's obviously has that back class and back form. I, I think she's, you know, a little bit over it now. I, I don't think she's what she used to be, but I do think, you know, in terms of one to watch out of, out of the three of them, I'm going to go with Labensteel and then Zephyro second and then Geraldina third for my, you know, top three from Japan. Um, if we move on to the sprint. Uh, yes, Breeders' Cup, uh, horses familiar from the Breeders' Cup in there, Jasper Crone back and uh, Highfield Princess making her return to the races there. She did not, she skipped the Breeders' Cup this year for, for a tilt at this. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, in my opinion, you know, uh, I've I've watched that race again to kind of figure out what happened with with Jasper Crone, other than the fact that he blew the start, you know. So he he did blow the start. He was rushed up hard by Yuga Kawada, and then on top of that, if you watch the NBC overhead, he just he wasn't handling the turns at all. Like he he just was yeah. not cornering left handed at all that day. So um, I don't think he handled the sharp turns. Uh, you know, the one challenge he's going to have again is that as as we both know, Pete, is that these uh, Hong Kong sprinters are no slouches. Uh, they're very very good as is Highfield Princess, as are others in there. So um, it will be tough. It will be tough in here for the Japanese to, to you know, exert their dominance in here. I think we'll know where Jasper Krohn will be. He'll be on the front end. Uh, and I think the fact that, you know, Jasper Krohn's performance last time it was so bad when you see that, you know, 12th beaten seven and three quarters lengths, um, I, I just think that he'll, uh, he'll be long odds and you'll actually get a good price for him on a, on a course he may be more, apt to with with you know uh, not as tight turns and just more of a of a flowing race yeah he'll be forwardly placed and if he's good enough he'd be able to hang on for a piece i think he's really good but i still question if he's good enough for this caliber of, of horse uh in this race that he'll be up against because again he's gonna be facing some beasts in here from from japan and, and the world so you know out, out of the two of them i'll probably be looking at uh at mad cool uh mad cool is a, a you know second last time out in the Sprinter stakes to Mamakocha. He just lost, you know, just ran the wire that day. So, again, out of the two of them, I think he's the one I'm going to be looking at. Uh, he's, he's, you know, tractable in the race. I think he's got a, a really big shot to, to make his uh, self heard. And also the fact that Krishna Jumuro is aboard. So, yeah, some, some good things to like about Mad Cool in, this, in, the, in this sprint. 
quickly over to the mile. Uh, out of all the Japanese horses, I just, you know, Nomura is the one for me. Pete, I think she's just on the, she's on the right track right now. You know, she, she has everything going in her direction. Uh, you know, William Buick picks up the mount here. You know, she's, she's won her last two in some very swift times. You know, she won the, uh, the Fuji stakes before winning the Mallow championship in one thirty one and change. The last time I was one thirty two. came with a rush at the end. Like, you know, we know where she'll be. She'll be at the back of the pack. Buick will tip her out and then make that, you know, blistering run that she always makes. And I just think that out of all the Japanese, I, I just think that, you know, she is one to, one to beat in here. You know, if you're looking for a bit of a long shot, you know, Soul Rush is, is obviously very good as well. He's He finished sec- second, only beating a neck last time out to Nomura. So I think out of the two, I'm looking at those two right now. Um, but Davina will be interesting for me. So Davina will go forward, and I, I think she's she could be a sneaky horse who could steal the possible this race or go take this race a long way if left alone. You know, Christian Murrow picks up the mount on her. You know, she was a winner two, two back going wire to wire. Uh, yes, that was against Phillies and, and going a mile and eighth, but I just there's something about me that kind of says, you know what, she may be a sneaky, sneaky long shot at a long price uh, with some quality connections that uh, may take this take that field in the mile in a long way. Something to uh, something to sneak in there. So it does sound like you think this is not a one horse race with Golden Sixty. There there is some challengers uh, that, that that come with big shots. Yeah, I, again, I, I respect Golden Sixty, but I just you know. Uh, He's he's not the youngest anymore, uh, and, I, and I think that for me, it's just uh, I think he's got to watch out behind him because he'll have uh, <laughs> he'll he'll have a freight train running behind him to uh, to try to catch him in the form of Nomura. And again, there's and there's also no slouches in the form of uh, Soul Rush and a few others in there in Japan. Yeah, some good double digit prices right now internationally on on those horses, Nomura and, and Soul Rush. Let's get to the big one of the night: the Hong Kong Cup Romantic Warrior, topping the market here. Some other. Very uh, familiar names in the form of uh, Horizon Dore, uh, Luxembourg, horses like this uh, coming to, to take it up to the big favorite Romantic Warrior. What do you think of the Japanese chances in this one? Uh, just uh, two words for you, Pete, and here for me, and that's Rushen Park. Uh, Rushen Park, uh, speaking of trainer Tanaka, he has been glowing about this horse uh, ever since he won his last race being the all-comers. So as soon as he won that race, he beat a horse called Title Holder. Well, we know how good Title Holder is. Multiple grade winner in Japan. Ran a very good Japan Cup uh, against oh, yeah. the aforementioned Equinox. And Trainer Tanaka said that Rushin Park is the real deal. As soon as that race happened, he said, I'm going to Hong Kong. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if, if you have a horse like it, you think, well, maybe you go in Japan Cup, maybe going somewhere else. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to Hong Kong to race in the Hong Kong Cup. So to, to have that amount of confidence – uh, securing the services of Damian Lane, uh, yeah, he uh, you know he he beat a good one in the former title holder pretty handily that day in that race. So I, I, to me, in my opinion, I just think he's the one to beat from from Japan, and and he'll be a handful on the weekend. Eight to one on odds checker for that one. So keep an eye. This is going to be great, great stuff. Going to be uh, some big pools and a lot going on. Stay up Saturday night into Sunday morning and check out not just the Hong Kong stuff, but the JRA stuff, which is providing such great uh, content and fodder for us to yap about week in, week out here on 
the podcast. That's going to do it for this edition of today's show. want to thank all of today's guests, Nick Tamaro in particular, for pinch hitting on those couple of segments. What else? Let's thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing. Always love to root for the purple and black around here. And also the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, trfinc.org slash players, the place to give to their excellent cause. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos. <laughs>